up guys welcome to archive tv i'm shane i'm fletch and we are back for another stream review what are we looking at today fletch we have uh duct, feminized duct tape to 112 so gorilla glue dosi do a uh, selected pheno from that that um, we called the chem chi that's the duct tape yeah it's just a nickname for it it was never a strain release or anything and uh it's that cross with the moonbow 112. Okay, okay. My buddy made the seeds, and I grew them out, maybe 20 of them. And they're really, like, acrid, almost like paint thinner. I get, like, uh... Yeah. You remember the um, little tubes of, like, plastic shit they used to sell us when we were kids, and they give you a little straw and a little metal tube, and you take the plastic out and put it on the end of the straw and blow a bubble with oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it had that funky, like... Weird, weird give you give you cancer smell. chemical smell yeah. yeah and and that's something that i've found kind of in a lot of different og hybrids not necessarily that this is an og hybrid but just like cushy og mixes with other kind of potent smelling strains gorilla even glue you'll find even that gorilla glue yeah. chem dog hybrids a lot of that type of stuff gets when you start growing through a population you see certain types of smells just kind of um happen over and over again and i think it's just because they're those are like dominant traits within those families so or or they're common combinations or common genetic combinations that result in smells that are kind of up that paint thinner chemical alley and it's kind of hard to distinguish what the exact smell is because it just smells potently chemical what is it about weed that we take smells and flavor profiles and things that are usually not appealing and then for whatever reason when it's in weed all of a sudden we like it chemical skunk get like i was one of those weird kids my mom would pull up to the gas station i'd roll the window down and sniff mm -hmm. you know what i mean well why the fuck are you doing that i don't know i like the way it smells it smells good you yeah know? i mean i think there's just i think we have an association with certain smells so you associate, I don't know, like uh, that gassy smell with something that's bad because if you drink gasoline, it's not good for you. It doesn't mean that it doesn't smell appealing though. Just in the way that like, uh, if you just look at food as well, like kimchi, or kimchi, right? A lot of people really don't like the way it smells. It smells like rotting stuff in your refrigerator. But when you taste it, it doesn't necessarily taste like that smell. And then if you, if you ask most Americans, they'll tell you kimchi smells disgusting yeah. because they've associated the smell with something that they don't like the flavor of. But then you ask like a Korean person. Love it. Lo then the, what may be, may be a slightly off-putting smell actually becomes um, desirable or even uh, makes them hungry just because they've are, they're accustomed to the smell. So I think that, you know, just like umami flavors in Japan, they may not translate to other flavors, partially probably just because of childhood conditioning, what cultural conditioning. Structure on this one looks uh, definitely leaning kind of towards the glue side of things, I feel like. I mean, mm -hmm. they're pretty, yeah. pretty nice and chunky. They kind of have that overall kind of fuzzy white appearance to them. Um, really, really densely covered in resin for sure. I imagine this one probably washes pretty well, huh? Not this specific pheno. There were a couple that did pretty good, but it's actually pretty greasy. 
I'm definitely getting the sweeter smell, a little bit more Moonbo thing. When, mm. Again, the, the aroma of the room when you crack the jar, but when you get in there, you get those kind of more uh, subtle, kind of more chemically skunky, funky notes, you mm. know? And it has a little bit of like a pixie sticks fun dip kind of yeah. sweetness behind it, At but it's mostly the like chemical. I was a gummy bear thing, but I think you're right. It's mm -hmm. more of that uh, Powder pow sugar. powdery candy shit, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get I get that too, where it's like a, it's a chemical paint thinner with maybe a powdered candy behind it of some sort. It definitely has that like glue thing to it where it's got a um, potent smell, meaning it just smells like it's got thick, a lot of resin. Thick smell. Thick, yeah, exactly. It wafts really far in the room. You crack the jar and you can smell it. You don't need to hand the bud to someone and they crack it open to smell it. It's like, oh, wow, that smells. Let me see a piece. Just like that bubble gum does the same thing. They're not necessarily like the loudest strains per se, but they definitely carry across the room. Yeah. Not necessarily the sharpest scent, but it's one that, like you say, thick, it just permeates. It's you know? full, yeah. The flavor on that, leaning pretty far towards, more towards the duct tape side of thing, I feel like. Yeah. More so than the Moombo. Um, I feel like the Moombo influence in there maybe just slightly sweetened things up a little bit. It obviously brought in that, yeah. that pixie candy thing we're talking about. A bit, yeah. But on the flavor, it's definitely leaning more more duct tape heavy. Yeah, it doesn't taste like Gorilla Glue, though. Gorilla Glue, to me, has like a very acrid, um, non-distinct kind of flavor. Just tastes kind of danky. This is, has a pretty distinct flavor. It's like an earthy pixie, disc, pixie dust kind of flavor, or pixie sticks you know, the dusty sugar kind of smell. How do you like working with glue just for hybridizing and stuff like that? Um, it's definitely not the easiest plant to work with. That's what um, I've heard. It can be a little finicky, especially when... Uh... But it makes consistent hybrids. Um, like we also did a bunch of the... Uh, I did maybe like 25 of these, but I did like 200 of the um, Petrochem, which is the glue Moombo 75. And you would kind of expect like a significant amount of variation amongst that population, but there really wasn't amongst like 200 plants. Like what originally happened is I think I popped 20 of them and I really liked this number 15 because it was like really skunky, had a little bit of like a, I'm trying to think of like exactly how to describe it. It was like a, I don't know, it was, it was pretty old school skunky weed you know, just kind of like some skunky herb. And I was like, man, this is kind of cool, you know? And I took that and I was like, well, shit, if I found this, something that's like pretty skunky, like kind of old school skunky, mm -hmm. out of like 20, I wonder if I could find like five versions of this from 200 and maybe find one that like almost kind of resembles old school skunk. Not skunk one, but like the American skunk. And uh, I grew another 200 of them and I just got more phenos of all the other shit except for that one. Oh yeah and it's like that that one out of 20 and that i initially popped was really one out of 200 basically as well i didn't really get any more phenotypes or genotypes that rep that were similar enough to that one they were more all way more gorilla glue um uh, uh moonbo mix kind of dominant which was a lot of uh, similar smells to this which was like that paint thinnery um 
astringent chemical gas of some sort, but not gas in the OG or diesel sense, but more of like, it's like the a off gas, like thing, the fumes. You know? like a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just like a, we were talking about that little plastic tube container too. It was real fumey. You know, it smells like it's giving you cancer. <laughs> definitely oily on the joint too. Mm -hmm. Super oily. This one has one of those mouth coating flavors too that like lingers. Definitely. Uh, maybe it's just because first joint of the day or what, but it's it's earthy in the stick too. It's like got yeah. an earthiness to it. Uh, the, a lot of the times those like strong earthy flavor profiles tend to have that stick a lot of times you know what i mean mm -hmm. more so than like the super fruity kind of pungent stuff that tends to be a little bit more fleeting it's here it's gone yeah i feel like the the earth the bubba type stuff some of the earthier ogs just cushion Chems, in general you know yeah yeah exactly Chem 91 super earthy um and that and same thing i think it lends well in hybrids as well it's that acrid, deep, earthy, chemical-y kind of scent. It's not earthy where it's like soil, because there are strains that are like soily, like they smell like mushroom compost. No, no. It's, it's more of a planty, earthy. Yeah, exactly. Herbal, I yeah. guess, maybe would be a good good word for it as well. Maybe almost kind of like piney too. I don't know. When I, sometimes when I think pine, that leans a little bit more. A lot of times when I get like the lemony tasting, cushy strains, I mm. think pine. But maybe just uh, woody, if that makes sense. Yep. Not necessarily pine, but some kind of... I, I forget what, what stream it was back in the day. I think it was might have been the Katsu Bubba Cut. We were doing a video on it, and you were just like, man, this is absolute sandalwood. And I remember just thinking, like, that's a... I, I got to step up my... Uh, my flavor description game, right. you know what I'm saying? Instead of... I saw a comment earlier today. Somebody was, you know, saying... Um, you know, I hear you guys and a lot of other people that do reviews. When you do your reviews, you describe some of these strains as, oh, it's very hazy, oh, it's very cushy, oh, it's very fuely, skunky, gassy. And they're like, for, for somebody who's newer to this stuff, who doesn't have all those references to pull from, it gets kind of confusing sometimes as far as like, what do you guys actually mean when you say gassy versus skunky you know what i mean and we tend to think of groups so we think like skunky and we immediately go to you know the chems and like shit like mm -hmm. that you know what i mean so oftentimes i catch myself doing that where i describe the smell of something here as just another variety that it reminds me of from the past or something like that yeah well it's you're just trying to associate it with something and that's why like you know what really when you're describing smells and flavors a lot of the time, the things that people can associate with you effectively are things that you've both experienced. Like, so that little tube of plastic shit that you'd blow bubbles out of when you're a kid. It's like, I, I'm just trying to any, you know, you're trying to pick things out of your memory bank of smells that are associated with what you're currently smelling. And a lot of the time it may not necessarily be you're not describing a smell, you're describing a, a time and a place or a product or, a, or you know, just like um, I used to describe like the cheese, right? Or, or the old Betsy from California or some of those, they're real pukey, you know, they smell like puke. And for me, it always reminds me of like, if you went to my school when I was a kid, you would remember the smells like- Just Walking through the hall. When some kid <laughs> got sick and, and puked into the hallway and then the, the 
the uh, janitor comes and throws that like sawdust shit to like soak up the um, smell and that had like a disinfectant in it. So it's like this weird mix of like this disinfectant and clean chemical cleaner smell and you know <laughs> fifth grade puke and it's like that you know cheese the cheese strain to me doesn't smell like cheese at all it when you first get a bag of it it has this like danky grapeness to it but after you've smoked an ounce of it it just becomes pukey it's really weird certain foods like that too the first time you tried it You'll like, uh, sometimes I'll go to a restaurant and I'll try the dish, dish there and I'll be like, man, I, th I really like this dish. And then I go back and try it again. I'm like, I don't think it's any different. I think I was just like really high and liked that dish. That definitely plays a part. You know what I mean? There, there's, there's also some weed where you smoke it and it's just, some weed makes you hungry, gives you the munchies, but some weed might not give you the munchies, but it makes the food that you eat taste better. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what where that difference comes. I don't know either. Like this uh, old guy that I knew, he's, I don't even know if he's still alive. He, if he is, he's like in his late 80s. I had this friend Nick who lived like in a couple hours outside of Seattle. And um, one of his business partners that he was an engineer was this old guy. I mean, he was born in like the 20s. Um, he, I think he was like maybe five or 10 years younger than my grandpa you know it was like born in the late 20s and uh he had like a 12 lighter in his garage up above and he had he had a pair he was a really eccentric like not eccentric in a bad way he was one of the most worldly people i've ever met you know he'd he'd done a lot of stuff and he was a professor at um uc santa cruz for like 25 years back in the 60s 70s 80s and into the 90s and then did some engineering stuff and he was basically retired when I met him. And he was, uh, I, I ended up like filling his whole garage because they were, they just weren't that good at growing. So I went up there, went out to his place and mixed up 12 lights worth of, so of organic soil and planted the whole room of like 95% Albert Walker. There was like a few plants of something else. And him and his wife hadn't smoked weed very much since like the 80s and 90s. He would just smoke a bowl at night because he had glaucoma. Mm -hmm. So it was helping with that. He had his medical license in Washington, even though he had like 12 lights and was obviously banging it out for profit. <laughs> and um, he, uh, him and his wife like ended up, they harvested that Walker crop. I took all the weed back and got rid of it for him. That, that was why I did it, right? It was like, look, you guys aren't growing anything worth shit and you guys aren't selling any of it. How about I just plant my stuff in here and I'll take it all back and everybody wins. Put Walker in there though. That's something a little, a little bit more on the more difficult side to just put in place and be like, good luck. I had a good organic soil recipe and it was uh, seven to 10 gallon pots and you flip them at this high and you really wouldn't need to fertilize much at all. Oh, okay. A little bit of top dressing. Just plug and play as it could be for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Probably the way to go with a strain like that. Exactly, and they just, they actually, I ended up, I met them because I bought, they bought, you remember the wheels I've told you about that spin around the lights, the Omega Gardens? They had two of those and couldn't figure out how to get them to work. And I had a small grow that uh, these would, these fit really well into. And I was trying to just maximize my production. So I bought them off of them and that's how I met the guys. Okay. My friend Nick. And uh, he, um, anyways, long story short, they, uh, 
him and his wife drove out to the peninsula in Washington, like forks and all the area, like tourist areas out there. And they smoked some weed like during the day and they hadn't done it in a long time. And they, they, the story they told me is they were driving in the middle of fucking nowhere and there's just a diner on the side of the, of the road. And they go in and order like the most extravagant meal they possibly could because they're starving. It was a Walker they smoked. Yeah, they had smoked some Albert Walker, which isn't the most potent strain, but it's a very unique high. But if you that's... don't smoke all the time and you're smoking that, oh, that's yeah. a perfect daytime smoke perfect. for somebody who. That's like you're going on a trip, bro. And it's some old school skunky smelling and tasting herb. So they, anyways, they go in, have like this di- you know late lunch dinner meal and just order like everything on the menu. And they're at this time. This was like ten or fifteen years ago. They were in their seventies already, you know. And the, uh, they came back and just were just. They had the best experience. They were like that was the best. I don't know if it was the weed where we were that we hadn't gotten out in some in a while or whatever, but that was the best food I've ever eaten. That was what they just kept telling me, and they were just so ecstatic about the experience they had. They hadn't smoked weed in so many years, and it was just the best meal ever. And it was pretty funny. And this is these are people totally unrelated to. I didn't. They they don't smoke weed with anybody. You know, they just they've been growing for a long, long time. And uh, just to solidify what you were saying about how I don't know if it's the weed that makes stuff just taste better than maybe it actually is, but there's even an anecdotal experience from an old timer I knew. I definitely remember getting that that whole having that experience more when I first started smoking, but I still get it all the time. I mean, I yeah. still get the munchies, especially edibles. Give me the munchies like crazy. Right, you're like, God, the cereal's so good. I mean, <laughs> I, I I eat I eat a lot. You know what I mean? Like I get the munchies every night, mm-hmm. pretty much no matter what. But edible munchies, it's like I'll just sit down and and kill five times what I normally would of something. And somehow I just keep making room. Never get sick of it, at least in the moment. That is one of the most awesome weed experiences or most rewarding things, though, is when you can, like, put an old head onto something modern. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I had that experience with my stepdad. Like, dude's been smoking weed his whole life. Finally, when I, I got old enough or I was smoking weed, he knew it, I knew it. We went on a houseboat trip to the mm-hmm. lake. We get up there. He didn't bring nothing. I'm like, hey, check this out. Brought a little bag of weed. He, I mean, I hand him the bag, and he just like couldn't stop looking at it. I mean, yeah. he was just buying some swag from yeah. the dudes at the construction site at work or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm showing him this beautiful light green. It was around that time. It was probably some OG or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it just blew his fucking mind. And just to see people who have been smoking their whole life kind of think they've seen everything just to show him something totally crazy. I remember after that, he's like, Cause that's you know I, that's like the start of dispensary days. I was just going all the time, just trying all types of different flavors yeah. and stuff. And he's like, "Hey, can you get me some stuff from the store?" So I went to the store. I brought him home some Jack. I think it was the the original. It was the, no, it was the Candy Jack from Green Door, which is like if you were gonna smoke yeah, Jack, yeah, thirteen, that, yeah. That, but that the Candy Jack from the Green Door was like a little bit sweeter, not quite as For sharp sure. as that. Actually, if you, you're did gonna you ever smoke see the Jack, Jack Flash that used to go around, yeah. Too? It was Similar. it was more like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, but if you were gonna smoke Jack, like that was that was some good Jack. Oh yeah, for sure. Back then, and I remember I brought him a bag of that, and it just blew his fucking mind. And my mom called me, and she's like, "What is this weed that you gave your fucking stepdad? Like, <laughs> he's been high as shit. He won't stop talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, staying up at night to smoke it instead of smoking it to go to bed. I'm like, yeah, it ain't that type of weed, you know. I think cannabis is one of the prettiest flowers 
on the planet. Oh, it has and, to be when you take into uh, account the variation too. Exactly, and and I'm into orchids. I'm into a lot of different flowers. I'm into growing a lot of different plants. And can that was one of the things that really got me interested in cannabis as a plant. I mean, because I started growing when I was 16, basically. Um, you know, like, and then I got, I had an apartment that I was growing professionally as my living when I was 17. You know, I graduated high school when I was 17. So, um, and, and like crazy. the reason I became so enamored with cannabis is I started with orchids. And there's, you know, thousands of varieties of orchids. I was really into them. And I, then I got into other plants and just reading about them. I didn't really have a big garden or anywhere to garden at the time. Um... And then I saw some really good weed and I was just amazed with like what it looked like, you know, it's just like, wow, look at the structure of this thing. Look at the resin, look, look, just look at the color, look at how much the variation that exists of different types of flowers. I mean, this is a plant that's being destroyed, trying, the government's literally spending billions of dollars every year trying to wipe this plant off the face of the earth. And to me, based on, it's, you know, and I also read The Emperor Wears No Clothes before I really got into weed too. So I knew a lot about the industrial uses of hemp, how useful and historical of a plant it is. And then it's also like a medical plant and it's enjoyable from a consumer perspective, like food. It's like, why are we trying to get rid of plant, this? Bro. Yeah, why are we trying to get rid of this plant? This plant has more uses than anything else that we practically know about. And, and it, it remediates soil. I mean, it's like it, everything about it is cool, even if you're just smoking it. It's I mean, interesting. The most amazing thing about the cannabis plant to me is obviously the, the number of applications, the variety, but also the fact that there is a use for 100% of the plant. Mm -hmm. Nothing could go to waste. Like, yeah. you're, ta like you're talking about industrial hemp, flowers, concentrates hemp seed oil i mean you can run a car off this shit it's just like there's almost nothing you can't do with it and so i you know when i saw that the government you know when i realized the government which was never a fan of how that shit's run just as a kid even reading about it in school and it's like now they're prosecuting this plant i didn't even start smoking weed until i was like 16. i wasn't really like a like a weed person that, you know, I did well in school. I was trying to fucking learn about stuff. So when I found out about cannabis plant, I went head first into learning about it. And then I was like, this is the most amazing plant. Like, why would I, this is the only plant that hasn't been worked with on a massive industrial scale and level. It's like, I need to go out there and try and preserve this plant. I think there's a lot of value in that. And it, and it was, there was a calling to me where it's like, no one's doing this. No one's, you know, sure, I got to break the law to do what I'm trying to do, but that doesn't scare me. What scares me is not having this in the future, not having this diversity, not having access to these plants, these plants being wiped off the face of the planet. So, and I spent the rest of my, uh, rest of my life, basically, putting plants and preserving plants first. And I'm sure every single time that you encountered some crazy new variety, whether it's something somebody else showed you or something that you 100%. bred yourself, it just reignites that fire of like, yeah. fuck, we got to protect this. You yeah, know we got to try and save it and keep it alive. And that's where the whole brand name and everything comes from, too. Um, it wasn't necessarily like I'm trying to name my, my brand or anything. This is what I'm trying to do is have an archive of, of strains and of varieties and preserve what little bit of diversity we still have.
Yeah, it is. It is cool that the name just encompasses the mission in one word mm -hmm. too. You know what I mean? It's yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. It's tough to think of any other brand names that kind of do that. You know. And this was the mission before the brand, so to speak. You know, that was just my mission as a cultivator, and I was, my goal is to make that my my profession one way or another. And like you're saying, obviously the legality of it had a lot to do with why there, a lot of that work wasn't being done. Mm -hmm. But I also think back in that time, the few people that were doing the work to preserve everything, there was just a different appreciation and uh, an importance placed on that side of things that I feel like now that we have so many more resources and should be able to preserve the culture, the stories, and all of the correct information so much more easier, mm -hmm. it's harder to find than ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's more convoluted than ever. Well, I think that commercial agriculture is a good um, analogy or, or parallel situation. Um, granted, it, you know, apples, let's say, weren't illegal 100 years ago. They've never been made illegal. But it was the geographic isolation which we also had geographic isolation in cannabis because of the illegality. No one shared stuff. Everybody had their own unique varieties and the markets were so fractured that any weed was good weed. So people just tried to grow the best weed for the best money because people would pay for it. Um, that actually preserved probably a lot of diversity. Like as much as there was the cops cutting down plants that we wish we never lost, um, that from gardens I never saw the product from. It's just like there's some there's tons of legendary seeds that were popped and someone was growing them and people in a certain area saw that weed and then it disappeared one day because dude got popped. He didn't give the clone out. Didn't have any grower friends. He was the only grower he knew. He popped, That's why he popped it from seed. And uh, that shit's gone. And we'll never regain that diversity that may have been lost if there's nothing related to that that's ever been hybridized either. That was some unique seeds he collected from somewhere, some unique hybrid. And uh, <clears throat> so, um, you know, even with the cops spending as much money as they did trying to stamp out, we still had a quite a diverse, you know, grouping of plants, at least in the 90s and early 2000s of original plants and hybrids that were all unique because of the illegality causing the, the isolation. Yeah. But what happens is once you take that, that's basically the same thing as like in the early 1900s with most farms. It was all small farms all across the country. There's no industrial farms. And everyone kind of grew a little something different so that it would harvest a week or two later than the next guy so that there'd be more availability because they didn't have um, food storage. And you could barter with the people in your area to ensure everybody always had yeah, something. Yeah, and there was no, yeah, exactly. And there was no refrigeration. So you had to like have all these different varieties of crops to keep food fresh all year. Um, and once you started getting refrigeration and um, preservation techniques and industrial farming with tractors and all this stuff, the diversity, because there used to be all these small farms trying to fill the market without any extending of, of lifetime of the product. Um, we now have just giant industrial farms run with tractors. What, what would have been the production of 500 or 1,000 small farms, all with slightly different or, or drastically different product lines. You now have one big farm producing all one kind of onion or all one kind of apples or whatever, and then putting it into refrigeration storage for months 
so that they can give it to you in whatever month that variety doesn't finish. Whereas historically, someone else would have grown a different variety to have fresh produce that month. Because all the different trees and stuff, they all flat bloom and mature in different months. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. You know, there's like, if I plant all one kind of avocado and they all ripen between August and September, well, what am I, how am I going to eat the rest of the year if I have no refrigeration or no, um, no import or export of goods, of agricultural goods? So anyways, point is that the, that lack of isolation that we have now in industrial farming has actually reduced the amount of diversity available in the marketplace and probably even existing in tissue. It is crazy when you think about, I was just kind of drawing the parallel in my head when you're talking about how, you know, certain things were lost over the years, whether it be raids, you know, mm-hmm. a million different things could have happened back then for why these varieties could have gone extinct, essentially. Essentially. But I'm just thinking that in the aquarium trade, it's basically the same thing. Like, like you find your keeper, one out of 200, one that just is a little bit different. That's the same thing with coral. In the wild, it's like this coral is always kind of a yellowish orange color. All of a sudden you find one that's like a greenish or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. just completely different than what it's supposed to look like. They import that into the trade. It gets sent out to a couple different places. And then I have five or six buddies that all live in my area that I swap stuff with and we keep backup. So if I get something cool, I grow it out big enough. I cut him off a piece, he grows it in his system. So if my shit tanks, I can then get a piece from him. If it had been illegal to that to that ex- extent, there, there was certain laws about shipping corals over state lines and stuff back then, but if it had been weed type illegal, there'd be so many species that would be extinct in the hobby that are now already extinct in the wild, or at least you can't find them at the collection sites we used to get them at. Mm-hmm. They don't exist there anymore, but they do still exist in the hobby. Yeah. But if it you know, were weed, it would just be different species or special, I guess, variations of those mm-hmm. corals that we would have lost over time. Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a trip to think about. And it's yeah. a bummer to think about some of the awesome shit that's been lost over the years. Yeah, all, pretty much all species on the planet have a lot of this variation. It's just, you know, we, all different humans pick which varieties and which types of plants or animals or whatever they want to fuck with. You know, look at how many different kinds of dogs there are. They're all the same species. But there's definitely a lot of different breeds, and a lot of those breeds are, are the result of human involvement, not evolution. It, but uh, you know, and, and same with cannabis varieties, but because these plants have been taken around the world for so many years, different sub, you know, um, geographical breeds essentially have developed over centuries, or millennia even. The dog thing is crazy, though, because it's like, I, I, okay, yeah, like you're saying, there's variations in all these different species, plants, animals, and stuff, but I don't see the type of variation that you've seen with canines in such a short period of time of selective breeding where you can go from a wolf to a chihuahua. Like we're saying, there's all these different variations of weed, but it's still a fucking nugget that's going to, you know, yield, it's not going to, like, you're going to have one that yields 800% But more we than have, the like, one, the equivalent you know? of, like, chihuahuas and weed. There's like the Australian bastard cannabis. There's auto flowers. Um, there's um, uh, like that that one fern looking plant. You know, it's just a mutation that occurs, yeah. and then it's how much people are willing to 
uh, continue reproducing that mutation. Which some of those, I'm like, why are we fucking bother trying to reproduce that shit? Because it's cute. <laughs> or it looks cool. Most of it is just vanity. Just It looks cool. It looks cool, and that's, that's the main reason. Um, or is there for a specific application, I guess, in theory, like autoflower? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? it, it, well, and there's dogs that have been bred for a specific application, too, that may like have an underbite, but it's because they're meant to like bite onto something and hold onto it and not suffocate. Or like a beagle with the long ears so it can waft the smell. Exactly. You know? I'm not saying they're all bad things. I'm just pointing out some of it's detrimental and some of it's positive. And it depends on who you're talking about, what breed you're talking about, what the net impact of that is, positive or negative. There's no right or wrong way of doing breeding. It's just what are the results is at the end of the day. Does it? There's no, I did it better. I bred that better than someone or something weird like that. It's, there's no... It's just taking what's available and, and uh, making selections from it and moving forward. Yep. There's, no, there's no better or worse until you say it's better for you. It's a, you know, the same thing people will be like, how many phenotypes are there in a, in a hybrid? And it's like, well, what are you determining as the traits that you're separating the population from. And how far do you want to split hairs with that? On what, yeah, exactly. So it's like if, if my only concerns are things that visually I can determine, then it's like, all right, there's two phenotypes, the purple ones and the green ones, let's say, in a hybrid. And then pretty much all the plants are either purple or green. Or there's three. There's purple and green and mixed or whatever. So there's three phenotypes. Well, that doesn't tell you anything about how many smell or taste phenotypes there are. Or density or yield Potency. or anything else. So know? what metric do you want to talk about? And then we can talk about how, how the population diverges based on those principles. But there's no which one's best. What, what's the best phenotype of that? And it's like, well, what, do you, what are you looking for? Something that tastes the best? Then you want to look for this one. Are you looking for the most potent? Well, then you want to look for that phenotype. And 20% of the population has that. There is no best. It's just what is your particular application? What's your goal? Yeah. Makes sense. Tell you what, man. Pretty fucking stone up this shit. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's good herb. It's a nice, nice, mellow, relaxing. Kind of felt myself. I started the video up like this. Just kind of been creeping lower and lower and lower. Mm -hmm. It's usually how these ones start off and, then, and end up. The, back here squeaking and shit. The recline angle. <laughs> well, I think that pretty much does it for this one, guys. We will see you on the next one. Like, subscribe, do all this stuff. Peace. <laughs>